Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, an eight-week journey designed to help you develop a deeply rooted spirituality in Christ. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. There's so much more to your story than what's on the surface. God is calling you to dive deeper, to see how your joys, losses, dreams, and experiences have shaped you. What will the Holy Spirit speak to your soul? through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, great to see you guys. Welcome to week two of our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And Pastor Tim, so happy you're here for this 40-day discipleship series. Our small groups are going through this fall. Uh, It was fun for me to see so many of your smiling faces over Zoom on Tuesday night. Our teaching team is doing live teaching over Zoom during the week for our small groups. So I hope you had some great conversations in your breakout groups this week. Now, the goal of EHS is to invite Jesus under the iceberg of our lives, deep into our inner world of thoughts and feelings, hopes and fears, so we can experience God's presence and the power of an authentic life in Christ. Now, this iceberg is a great symbol for life because only 10% of an iceberg is visible above the surface at any time. And that 10% really represents the external activity of your life. It's the decisions, the behaviors that everybody can see. So, you know, Christians are nice people above the surface. Uh, most of us attend church. We, we pray. We try to treat others with kindness and respect. But notice, 90% of the iceberg is hidden underwater. And that represents what's really going on deep beneath the surface of your life. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that people can't see, you know? Your motives, your fears, your jealousies, your sadness— your anger, your hurts, your griefs. It's the stuff that usually comes out in times of stress or pressure. And guys, this is what Jesus wants access to, to transform your inner world. You know, the truth is most Christians and churches kind of focus on that top 10% of the iceberg. So we do helpful things like Sunday worship and Bible studies and fellowship, which are all great, but it really only scratches the surface behavior. And so a lot of Christians mistakenly think, hey, I'm doing fine. Things appear, you know, everything's in order right above the surface. But in reality, their relational life is falling apart because their interior world is unexamined. So for all our talk of like, hey, freedom in Christ, a lot of us are still held captive by fear of what people think of us. Or we struggle to forgive that person who hurt us. Or we have a hard time navigating conflict with a spouse or or child or family member or coworker. We wrestle with things like anxiety or anger. Maybe we even feel guilty about it, but nothing seems to change. So we remain emotionally immature Christians who have kind of a tip of the iceberg spirituality. We're skimming the surface of faith. But can I tell you, as your pastor, I want to invite you to dive deeper. I want you to invite Jesus to go under the iceberg of your life and give them full access to your inner world. That's how you mature emotionally and grow deeper spiritually. See, what we're doing is combining two very powerful forces. On the one hand, we're focusing on emotional health, 
which is defined as your ability to be self-aware and love others well. Emotional health includes stuff like becoming aware of your blind spots, you know, your insecurities, your triggers, how your family of origin impacts you, and how others experience you. When you combine emotional health with contemplative spirituality, which is slowing down to be with Jesus, when you pause in your day to practice God's presence through silence and stillness, reflection on scripture, when you anchor yourself in God's love and you bring those two together, emotional health and contemplative spirituality, man, you can ignite a spiritual revolution in your heart, especially if you feel stuck or stalled in your journey with God. I talk to so many people who say, Tim, I feel fragmented. I'm kind of scattered, disoriented. We all feel that way after COVID. I'm telling you, this is going to help jumpstart your intimacy with Jesus. Speaking of, how did it go spending time with him this week? Did you make some room for silence and stillness to start every day? Remember, at the heart of EHS is a 40-day devotional by Pete Scazzaro. It's called The Day by Day. And the idea is to make room at least twice a day to stop, be still, and practice the presence of God. Now, I love this little book. It's, it's how, so helpful to me. Uh, every day has two devotionals. And I suggest you do one right in the morning when you wake up and then one in the afternoon or before bed. And this devotional, Pete calls it the daily office. It's a little different than a traditional QT or quiet time. You know, growing up, I was taught um, in a devotion, you read a Bible passage and then you pray for the needs of people in your life and you kind of get filled up for the day. You know, Lord, be with so-and-so and help me with this problem. Give me strength for my meetings. But I found is that often my mind would start racing, you know, as I pray, because I'm praying through my problems, and then this is happening, and that's happening, and, I, and then I'm charging in my day, hoping God will get me through it, and I just do the same thing again tomorrow. But the daily office is different. Listen to me. It's not so much about turning to God to get something from God, but to simply be with him, to pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking, guiding you throughout your whole day, in the middle of your work, travel, activities. It's really hard, I know, in our busy, noisy world. So you start every day with two minutes of silence and stillness before God. Did you try it this week? Let's practice it together right now, okay? All our live locations, church online, wherever you are, make yourself comfy, settle back in your chair, feet on the floor, hands open. If I had a phone, I'd say, Siri, set timer for two minutes. And now everybody, take a deep breath. Here we go, ready? Now listen to these words from Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Deep breath, everybody. Abba, I belong to you. Another breath. Jesus, I surrender to you. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for his voice. I recommend you just use one or two words as a simple prayer. It's called a breath prayer. It's a spiritual practice from the ancient church where you kind of quiet down your mind. You're, you're letting go of any worries or tensions, and, and you're just saying, Father, I want to be with you right now. And for two minutes, you give Jesus your undivided attention, full access to the innermost part of your life. Say it again. Jesus, I'm here for you. You are quieting your soul with the Father's love. You're letting go of your agenda. You say, Lord, fill me. Spirit, guide me.
speak to me, Father. I'm listening. Listening's important. You know, so many Christians I talk to think prayer is just talking to God. But breath prayer is about listening. I mean, think of it this way. If you want your relationship with somebody to mature, you got to learn to listen, right? Silence and stillness clears room to hear God's voice and experience his presence at a soul level. So as you're doing this in the morning, don't be discouraged if your mind wanders, all right? Just use a breath prayer and you turn your thoughts back to God. You just go, oh, Abba, I belong to you. All right, that's enough to start our sermon. But I want to encourage you to try this out to start your day. You can do it very flexibly. If you're home with the kids, moms, lock yourself in the bathroom for two minutes. Recenter yourself in Christ. You can do it at work. You know, I often do this around lunchtime. A lot of times in my days, I have back-to-back Zoom calls or meetings. It's very adaptable to life on the move. And it's powerful when you pair it with the scripture readings in this devotional, okay? So here's the challenge. Try it twice a day this week, and don't get discouraged if you miss a day. Just start with the next one. Just be flexible, guys. Give yourself a whole lot of grace. What we're doing is working out our soul. We're exercising our S and S muscles, stillness and silence for 40 days, and hopefully you'll have a new habit for life. Now, last week, we looked at the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and the story of King Saul, who was a pretty, uh, well, Saul was a toxic leader. (laughs) Saul was chosen by God. He was gifted by God. He was anointed by God. But ultimately, Saul was impeached by God. He was stripped of his throne because he wouldn't listen to God. And that's because Saul lived out of a false self. Remember that? A false self is defined as the personality we project to God and others to impress them or survive, avoid exposure, or, or manipulate and get our way. And the truth is we all have a false self. I do. Uh, it's the immature, often childish, broken part of our soul that Jesus just wants to rip up by the roots and transform. It's the part of us that's fearful and defensive or, or self-promoting. The part of us that likes to blame shift or manipulate others. or It's a people pleaser who avoids showing weakness and vulnerability. You always want to look strong and in control, my boy. It's really not self-aware at all. Now, none of us like to admit we have a false self, so we pretend to be somebody we're not, right? People don't just wear masks on Halloween. We all wear masks and try to adopt personas that we think will impress God or other people. And here's the deal. Christians can be really good at this, wearing masks. You know, this week in chapter 2, you're going to read about a woman named Sheila Walsh. She's a Christian singer who became co-host of a TV show called The 700 Club. Anyone watch 700 Club? You know that one? And she described how her false self caused her to just hit the wall one day. She writes, One morning I was sitting on national television with my very nice suit and inflatable hairdo. And that night I was locked, the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. And then she says, It was the kindest thing God could have done to me. Sheila said the very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist was like, who are you? And she's like, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. And he goes, that's not what I meant. And she goes, I'm a singer. I'm a writer. And the doctor said, that's not what I meant. Who are you really underneath? And she said, I don't have a clue. And the doctor said, now that's exactly right. And that's why you're here. Sheila wrote this. She said, I measured myself by what other people thought of me and it was slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, some of the 700 Club staff said to me, don't do this, you'll never regain any kind of national platform. If people know you were in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. And I said, you know what? 
It's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I'd lost everything, my house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life. I discovered at the lowest moment of my life that everything that was true about me, God already knew. Guys, listen to me. It is so easy to pretend to be something on the outside that you're not truly on the inside. It's tragic. So many people go to their graves without knowing who they really are. If you're not careful, you can wind up living somebody else's life or out of their expectations for you. The core challenge of the Christian life, friends, is to put off our old self so you can live authentically out of your true self, the one created by Christ uniquely for you. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul put it this way. Let's read this together. It says, put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and put on the what, church? The new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, let me teach you a little theology. At salvation, when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, the Bible says you're born again, right? The old is gone, the new has come. So God takes your old life of sin, he nails it to the cross, he gives you the new perfect life of Jesus. That's salvation, it's beautiful and it's instantaneous. But have you noticed? Some of your same old habits are still there. We believe some of the same lies, the same urges and self-destructive patterns we have. That's the old self. It's the false self gasping for breath. And it needs to be crucified too. It's a much longer process called sanctification. It's putting to death your old self and putting on, look at what Paul says, the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The truth is, it's almost impossible to draw close to God when you're far from your authentic self, your true self created by Christ. You need both of them, guys. Knowledge of yourself and knowledge of Christ if you're going to live a life of true freedom. Well, today I want to talk to you about how to know yourself that you may know God. And our model for this is King David, the young shepherd boy who replaced Saul as king of Israel. So if you have a Bible or flipping your phone to 1 Samuel 17, in the Bible, we're going to read this story of David's famous fight with Goliath, but I'm going to tell it to you in a way maybe you never heard before. In a lot of ways, this is David's origin story. Just like Saul lost his throne for operating of a false self, this is the moment David actually steps into his true authentic self, and God reveals that this is the courageous king that Israel's been waiting for. Now, a little background here. The army of Israel is facing their arch enemy, the Philistines. Can you say Philistines? Philistines. They're meeting in the valley of Elah. Uh, you can visit it today. It's located in Israel. It's two mountainsides. It's got a valley between it. And on one hill is the army of Israel, tens of thousands of soldiers led by King Saul. And on the other hill are the vicious Philistines. And they're going to meet in the middle of the valley for battle. But to intimidate God's army, the Philistines send out their ultimate warrior, a killer named Goliath. Can you say that? Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 describes him this way. Verse 4, it says this. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. And he was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. So you got it? This guy's a giant, okay? Guys, he's nine feet tall. This guy can dunk on LeBron, okay? 125 pounds of armor on. 
It says he also wore a bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. You guys got the picture? Man, Goliath is huge. Goliath is a killer. He is armed to the teeth, man. He's a pagan. He doesn't know who the God of Israel is. And he's basically taunting Israel. He's saying, anybody want to come out and fight me? In verse 8, look at this. He gives this challenge. He says, um, choose one man to come down here and fight me. Come on, bring it. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Now, Scripture says Goliath did this 40 days. Every morning, every night, he taunts Israel. Can you imagine? This guy comes out 80 times, gets in the face of Saul and his army, and says, who wants a piece of this? You? 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 <laughs> That's what I thought. And the intimidation worked. Verse 11 says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were, what's the word, church? Terrified and deeply shaken. So much for a powerful king and his fearless army. Enter David. Now understand, at this moment, David is a teenager. He's 17 years old. He is the youngest of eight boys. And the Bible says he was there to deliver food to his older brothers on the front line. In fact, I was looking at it just before this, and it says that David brought them bread and cheese. In other words, he's the pizza delivery guy, okay? <laughs> David's literally doing DoorDash. <laughs> and when he arrives, he sees Goliath mocking the troops. Look at verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And I love this one. This is so fun. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? By the way, kids, you should write this down. This is an awesome insult, okay? Try this when you're, when you're out on the basketball court to say, come on, bring it, you uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> now, what happens next is not what you think. This is where everybody thinks, oh, I know this. David takes out a slingshot, throws a rock, pegs Goliath in the head. We know the Sunday school story, but there's more going on here. Watch this, under the iceberg. I want you to see something. There are three huge obstacles David has to overcome before he even gets to Goliath. Specifically, there are three negative voices in David's life that try to discourage him from trusting God, from living out of his authentic true self and running into his destiny. And I can relate to all of them. I think you can too. The first obstacle we see here is accusations from his own family. Look at verse 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he what? Burned with anger at David. And he asked him, why do you come down here? With whom do you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Whoa. Anybody got a brother or sister with the spiritual gift of criticism? Anybody? Insults, put downs, that's what they do, yeah. Now Eliab is David's oldest brother. He's probably 10 or 15 years older, so he's got all the authority in the family. David's the youngest. He's the runt of the litter. And the minute he shows up, Eliab is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who the H are you? You're here to drop off pizza, not fight a battle. Okay, just get out of here, punk. Go back to your sheep. Go home. He verbally attacks his brother in front of the whole army and shames David publicly. Look what he says. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Woo. You think your family's tough? 
David came from a pretty unsupportive family environment. They judge him. They label him. They attack David's character. He's misunderstood. You got a bad heart. You came to watch. Get out of here. Go home, you loser. Basically, the message David got from his family is, you're a nobody. Get out of here. You're a loser. Go home. You know, I was thinking about this week, and the truth is, none of us grew up with perfect families, right? I mean, even the best families can deliver a toxic message that can add layers to your false self and make you want to bury your true self, who you really are. You know, maybe you grew up in a family where certain parts of who you really are, like your true self, were actually, no, 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 unacceptable. You had to bury part of yourself just to survive. I've heard some people say, you know, Tim, growing up, I felt invisible in my, my, my home. <laughs> growing up, my family gave me the message, man, don't think certain thoughts. It's not okay to feel certain ways. Don't make mistakes. Don't, don't go down certain roads. Don't ever show weakness to people. And then what happens is you grow into a young adult, and then you, you look back at your parents or your caregivers, and you realize they tried their best, but they didn't always love you for who you were uniquely created by God to be. They had ideas for who you should be or how you should act, but they missed your true heart. And so you wind up with these messages in your head like, yeah, I, I'm really lovable if I guess I get good grades or if I go to the right school or I'm worthy if I, I marry the right person or, or have kids or I, I'm valuable if I get the right job or career or pursue my parents' dream for my life, whatever your family values. Guys, I've seen people invent a false self just to survive their families intact. Here in 1 Samuel, David's ignored and verbally shredded by his family. Go home, kid. You got nothing to offer. Some of you know what it's like to grow up in a home where nobody notices you. In 1 Samuel, nobody notices David except one person, God. God notices David. And listen, God notices you. So obstacle number one, David cuts through these negative accusations from his family that would probably trigger me and you or shut most of us down. Verse 29, it says, now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak without you guys jumping all over me? What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Obstacle number two, the expectations from authority. King Saul basically calls David over, and verse 32 says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. David's like, your servant, me, David, I'll go out and fight him. Look what Saul replied. He said, bro, you aren't able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. And can I just say, guys, Saul's being nice here. <laughs> He's like, uh, kid, I appreciate your, uh, your moxie. <laughs> I appreciate your passion. But Goliath's a trained killer, bro. He's a Navy SEAL, and you're, you're just a boy. How old are you? 17? <laughs> you got pimples on your face. You're young. You're inexperienced. Now put yourself in David's position. This is the king of Israel talking to a teenage boy. Saul is famous. Saul at this moment commands an army of 330,000 men. He leads a whole nation. He's experienced in warfare. And he's like, David, my son, you can't do this, bro. Let me tell you something. Be honest a moment. If that were me, and, and he said, you're not going to be able to do this. And I looked behind him and I saw Goliath. I'd be like, okay, I think you're right. <laughs> I'd actually probably head home. He's probably right. Saul is talking David down. And Saul is also filled with fear. 
Saul believes in God, but he's living like a practical atheist, like there is no God. He's saying, you're not going to be able to do this. See, Saul didn't understand a very important secret. Listen to me, come in. David had something only he knew about and only God knew about. He had a secret life with God. Saul was older, but spiritually shallow. David was younger, but much deeper. He had a firsthand experience with the living God. Look at verse 34. This is so, just watch this. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, you know what I did? Saul, listen to what I did. I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair. I struck it and killed it. What? So all those years out in the fields watching sheep, God was training David. He was training him for reigning. Everybody say training. Training for reigning. Daniel, he, David knew how to handle himself. He killed lions. He killed tigers. He killed bears. Oh, my. <laughs> he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. I love this verse. Listen to David's confidence in the Lord. It's not himself. He's humble. He says, it's the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And he's going to rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Whoa. Man, this kid is, is full of faith. Give it to David, man. He knows who he is, and he knows who his God is. See, David had something vital, friends, that Saul and his brothers lacked. He didn't have a secondhand faith where he skimmed spiritually and lived off the fumes of other people. He had a firsthand experience walking with the living God. He had a secret life with Jesus to draw on, which empowers him to live out of his true self he cuts against the accusations of his family, but also the expectations of authority figures like Saul in his life. Now, David must have been convincing because Saul said to David, okay, go, and the Lord be with you. But now watch this. This is, this is the amazing part. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So Saul basically says, hey, listen, kid, before you go and get yourself killed, he's like, put this on, all right? And he hands David his armor. He puts on his helmet. David puts on, you know, Saul's helmet. He puts on his tunic. And verse 39 says, David fastened on Saul's sword over the tunic. And he tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. But he said, I, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. I, I, what is, no, I'm, I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. Now take a moment. I want you to look closely at this painting of David. I picked it on purpose. Because the artist chose to show David at the exact moment he tries on Saul's armor. See how he's wearing the tunic? He's got the armor and he's about to pick up Saul's sword. But notice David stops and what happens? He looks up like he's listening to God. And what happens here is so powerful. David stops he listens. He says, wait a minute. No, this isn't me. I can't go in these. Saul's armor doesn't fit me. So he took them off. In other words, David knows himself so well 
He knows what his strengths and gifts are, and he knows his God so well that he rejects the false self being offered by Saul. And my point is this, guys. Nobody knows the real you except you and God. Listen carefully to me. In this world, there are going to be plenty of well-meaning people who are going to give you all kinds of advice. They're going to tell you to do all kinds of things. They're going to try to mold you in their image like Saul does to make you. If you want to be successful, this is how you do it because it worked for me that way. But the truth is only men and women who have a firsthand knowledge of the living God can differentiate and say, thanks, but no thanks. This is not me. My father in heaven knows my soul the best, and he's the expert on me, not you, not my family, not my boss. David is rejecting the false self of Saul, and he's stepping into his true self in Christ. What is this true self? The true self is the exact opposite of all that is the false self. I'm going to put this on the screen. I want you to take a snapshot of it. It's not something you need to construct or project through a process of self-improvement. It's your total self as you're created to be by God. It's the unique face of God that's been set aside from eternity just for you. Listen to me. Every one of you will have a moment where you will be tempted to pick up the sword of Saul, to wear somebody else's armor in life and fulfill their expectations or their plan for your life. But the question is, will you have the faith and courage to listen to God and say, no, 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 this isn't me. This is not who I am. The God inside of me is bigger than the giant in front of me. Amen? David says, who's, who's got some stones? Who's got some stones? Verse 40 says, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Bible trivia. Anybody know why David chose one, two, three, four, five stones? Do you know why five smooth stones? Of course not. You're not Hebrew, but every Jew would have understood. Those five stones represented the first five books of the Jewish Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch. And David's like, I just want everybody to know, I'm going to fight Goliath with the word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. His faith was in the word of God, not the word of man. And David believed that the God inside of him was bigger than the giant in front of him. Amen? So he picked up five smooth stones. And how many of you know God only needs one, baby? He's got a laser-sighted scope. And guys, this is the moment that David runs into his destiny. Think of all he's cutting through. He's cutting through accusations from his family, criticism from Eliab expectations of authority. Saul's armor doesn't fit me. And now the final test, intimidation from the enemy. This is spiritual warfare, guys. Verse 41 says this. Meanwhile, the Philistine, isn't this an awesome story? The Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David, closer. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now just pause here. <laughs> Faith or not, this is intimidating. Guys, this is actually satanic. This is the voice of the evil one. This is spiritual warfare. Goliath is nine feet tall. David is a boy. Goliath's covered in armor. David has none. Goliath has a giant spear. Goliath has a huge sword. 
And what's David got? A sling and a few stones. And we all think David's outmatched, but there's wisdom here. Watch this. David knows if I get too close to Goliath and fight him hand to hand, it's over for me. But remember, the Lord taught me how to fight the lion and the bear. And when the enemy starts drawing closer and walking in at me, I'm going to swing my sling. I'm going to swing it. I'm going to swing it. I'm going to swing it, swing it, swing it, swing it, and let it fly, buddy. And the rest is history, man. God guided that rock like a laser straight to Goliath's head. The stones sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. Did you catch this? It's Satan bowing face down in worship before the living word of God. Friends, this is the moment that David runs into his destiny. It says David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and he used it to kill him and what? Cut off his head. And the result is breakthrough for David, for everybody around him and the entire nation of Israel. Because David cut through the obstacle and he lives out of his true self in Christ. He runs headlong into his destiny. The unique role that God handpicked him to play in the story of salvation. And my friends, God wants you to run into your destiny. I'm just telling you, man, I'm fired up because our world is desperate to see authentic Christians who aren't afraid, who aren't scared, who aren't wearing masks, but Christians who are alive and unafraid to live out of their true selves in Christ. Amen? Give God a praise if you believe it. If you will take the time to develop a firsthand walk with the Lord, not copying your friends, not wearing somebody else's armor, God can change the trajectory of your whole life. Your family, your marriage, your children, he'll change generations. So, so here's my question to you. Here's, here's my question. Lean in, lean in, it's a biggie. What armor are you wearing right now that no longer fits you? What armor might you be wearing right now in your life? It doesn't fit you anymore, man. What lies are you still believing? Whose approval are you still seeking? What strengths are you hiding and burying because you've been told you can't do that? You're not experienced. You're not old enough. And God says, no, 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 no. I, I've, been, I've been training this one myself. All those, all those years in the shepherd's field, I've been training for reigning. I've been training her for reigning. I chose her. I anointed her. And if she will stay humble and listen to me, stay true to how I made her, I will empower her for my epic purposes. Listen, if you're living somebody else's story or you're following their script for your life, you need to take off that armor today. I'm just telling you, man. Don't get caught fighting battles in Saul's armor. Guys, our world is so fake right now. And it is desperate for men and women of God who are full of authentic faith, not afraid to live out of their true selves because we're so anchored in the love of the Father that we can smash the strongholds of Satan and live in the glorious freedom, free from the expectations of others. Guys, Christians are supposed to be the freest people on earth. Amen? We are not slaves to fear. We are children of God. Give God a praise, right? I'm preaching now, man. You better take a praise, right? Give him praise. Guys, David's story is your story. And you can step into it if you'll learn to do what David did here and differentiate 
It's a fancy word. Differentiation is the ability to remain connected to people. We can be together and yet not allow your reactions or behaviors to be triggered by them. I'm, I'm different from them. The key quality is this. When you're under pressure from others, whether they approve or not, you can actually remain calm. Notice David didn't get triggered by his brother Eliab. You can hold confidently onto who you are in Christ and who you're not without getting triggered and behaving and making decisions based on somebody else's opinions or actions. It's very, very essential to emotionally healthy spirituality. I got a friend who um, felt called to become a pastor um, out of the marketplace. He didn't go to seminary. Um, he had a great job, but he loved caring for people and counseling them. And, and when he became a pastor and told his parents, they were, he said they were kind of heartbroken. I said, why? I'm like, pastor's the greatest job in the world. <laughs> he said, because Tim, their dream for my life was to be a doctor or a lawyer or professional, something prestigious, so they could tell their friends and feel good about it. He said, when God spoke to me and, and called me out of the marketplace and said, I want, you, I want you to take off that fancy armor. I want you to, I want you to take this stone instead. He said, I, I was overjoyed, but my parents were angry. They actually said, why are you doing that? Why are you throwing away your schooling? We paid all that money. This is so disappointing. Now look, no one wants to disappoint their parents, but they had plans and expectations for my friend's life. But because he was emotionally mature, he was spiritually healthy and tethered to Jesus, he was able to differentiate and say, you know what? No, thanks. That's not me. This is me, mom and dad. And I still love you. He was able to differentiate from his parents and still honor them and love them, even though they were disappointed with him. See, differentiation is vital to EHS. It's, it's when you have a, a clear sense of your worth and your identity and who you are in Christ apart from the opinions or approvals of other people. The point is this, guys. If we're differentiated, I can be okay with you even if you're not okay with me. I, I may not agree with you. You may not agree with me. But we can be in relationship together. I don't have to detach from you, reject you, or, or, or avoid you, or mock you, or criticize you in order to validate myself. I can be myself apart from you because my core identity is in what God thinks of me, not what you think. Because if Christ is for me, who can be against me? Amen? My friends, that's how you live in true freedom. That's how you step into the divine destiny in the story God is handwriting with your life. It's such an incredible story, isn't it? What's my point? My point, guys, and I had never really seen this before. I'm indebted to Pete for this insight. Is that King David was so highly differentiated. He knew his strength so well. That's emotional health. But then he knew his God so well. That's contemplative spirituality. He had the power to cut across all these obstacles, live from his authentic self, and slay his giant. Show that painting of David again. Look carefully at it. Who's he listening to? Where did David get his guidance from? How did he know how to beat Goliath? Listening to God. David did what Saul never did. David's guidance didn't come from listening to voices out there. It came from listening to the voice inside here. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's living true to who he is in Christ. He's not acting out of guilt or pressure from his family. He's not triggered by them. He's not trying to earn the approval of, 
authority figures like Saul, even though the pressure was great. And notice he's not intimidated by satanic threats from his enemy. David knew his strengths, and he's living out of that first-hand relationship, listening to God. And friends, so must you. Can I just say something, man? The world doesn't need another Saul or another David or another Pastor Tim. The world needs another you. The world needs another Mike, another Karen, another Clint, another Kian, another Sharon. Fully alive and free in Christ. Using your gifts in the service of others to bless the nations. Understand something, man. If you, if you do this, some of you are like, I, I want to do this, Tim. If you step out to live your authentic self in Christ, you will be opposed by the enemy. You know why? Because he's threatened. Satan knows if you step out and you start living out of your true self, created by God to be like Christ in holiness and righteousness, all hell will break loose. Guys, this is spiritual warfare, but you don't ever forget this. The God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. Amen? Give him a praise. He's bigger, he's better, he's stronger, and there's so much riding on you slaying your giants and becoming your true self in Christ. Don't live somebody else's dream for your life. Be who God created you to authentically be. Or you'll just become another atheist Christian, sort of believing but powerless, a Christian who sort of knows God, but is actually stuck here, hiding in the trench, robbing everybody else of blessing and freedom. Remember, God gave David a one-of-a-kind, a very unique gift to defeat his giant. And God gave you something unique to defeat your giants too. Guys, this stone represents the real you created in Christ. We need the real you. The world needs the real you. Our church needs the real you. Alive and free and anchored in the love of God so the world will see God's glory. Amen? So let me ask again to close. What armor are you wearing that no longer fits? That God may be saying, you know what? It's time. It's time to take it off. Just ponder that for a minute. What armor might you be wearing right now that no longer fits you? I was praying about how to close this message, and I, I felt like God saying, I want to talk to people. And so I want to clear some space for silence and ask you this. What's God saying to you right now? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit has just spoken through the Word of God, and now the Holy Spirit is speaking inside of you. And I wonder, what is God saying to your soul? Can we just take a minute? Let's just create space for silence, church online, live locations, wherever you are, just be quiet and pause and reflect. What's God saying to you right now? Remember how God came to Elijah in a still, small voice? In silence, the Lord spoke to him. Most of the time, you and I have so much noise, so many other voices in our lives we can't hear. But God's speaking right now to some of you, I just guarantee it. So as you sit and be still and listen, let me give you this verse from Ephesians 4 to meditate on. Before you pray, read this with me quietly in your heart. Jesus is saying to you, put off your old self. Take that armor off, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and put on 
the new self that I created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's just meditate on that for a minute. Speak, Father. What are you saying to your children? What armor is he inviting you to take off right now? Because it doesn't fit anymore. He's preparing you for breakthrough. Let's be quiet and just make room for God and then I'll pray. Jesus. Speak, Jesus. Speak, Father, to your children. Your servant is listening. Abba, my Father, as we sit in silence right now before you, I pray for my brothers and sisters. These precious people, each of them is one of a kind, Lord. They're beautiful. And so, Jesus, I ask, would you lead us to a greater vision of who you are? And so doing, may we see ourselves clearly, the good, the, the bad, and the ugly. And Father, grant them now the courage to follow you, Jesus, and become the unique person you created them to be. Holy Spirit, we ask for your power not to copy someone else's life or story. Just burn away the layers of our false self with your, your flaming love and, and may our true self, created to be like Christ, shimmer to the surface. Today I ask you for the freedom to live boldly and authentically for you by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said together, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.